Hello, I am your host, Samuel Hansen, and you are listening to Strongly Connected Components, Episode 13, brought to you by AcmeScience.com. On today's episode, I have a conversation with Ivers Peterson, noted mathematical journalist, Director of Publications and Communications at the Mathematical Association of America, and most importantly, the Mathematical Tourist. Here it goes. This week on Strongly Connected Components, my guest is Ivers Peterson, the uh, Director of Publications and Communications at Mathematical Association of America, as well as a rather well-known science and math journalist, and most importantly, he is the math tourist. Hello, Mr. Peterson. Hello. I'm just going to go straight into the questions. Uh, first one I'm going to ask, actually, uh, is a bit about why uh, you ended up writing about mathematics, because... Your, uh, your education, uh, you have a Bachelor of Science uh, from the University of Toronto in physics and chemistry, as well as a Bachelor of Education. And then uh, you ended up going back for a master's degree in journalism. Uh, what ended up making you decide to write about mathematics? I, I have a long-standing interest in writing, and I've been doing that since I was very young. And when I was in journalism school, I had a chance to do an internship at Science News Magazine, and that turned into essentially a full-time job, and I was there then for 26 years. And one of the things I noticed right away was that there was very little writing about mathematics. And in journalism, one way to get ahead is to be able to write about things that no one else writes about, uh, the scoops and so on. And when you've got a very small number of uh, people writing about math, then you have opportunity to do things that no one else is doing. It was also, it was a nice niche. The second part of it is that... Uh, I was not afraid of math. Even though my degrees were in physics and chemistry, I did take a heavy dose of math, and I did teach some high school mathematics, calculus, and so on. And so I wasn't afraid of it. There's a lot I didn't know, but I wasn't afraid of it in the way that many other people are. And that made it easy for me to get into a lot of subjects. And while I was doing this in the early 1980s, there were a lot of exciting developments involving cryptosystems, uh, number theory, uh, all kinds of interesting number-related things. And those were relatively easy to get into. There was also some things on the Poincaré conjecture and uh, Thurston's uh, uh, geometry conjecture and so on. And I learned as I went, uh, but it was a nice niche. It, it was something that very few other people were doing. And even now, there aren't that many people writing about mathematics. Now, with uh, the title that you've decided to actually use uh, for a lot of your writings, it, it's also the title of the first book that you wrote, which is The Mathematical Tourist. And yes. in that book, you actually mentioned being a non-native uh, in the math land. Do you find that there is a certain amount of uh, this natives versus non-natives in the mathematical community, a little bit of uh, a barrier uh, raised to people who have not studied it their whole lives? Oh, it's not, uh, it's not just a little barrier. It's a huge barrier. Um, you mentioned the word math, and you get all kinds of shudders and groans and say, I can't even balance my checkbook and so on. Uh, the barriers are very large. Uh, what I've been able to do, even though 
there's a lot of, there is a lot of mathematics that I find intimidating and difficult to follow or understand. Well, that's true for a lot of other mathematicians too. The field can be so specialized. And what I've learned and ways of, of working around it or with it or, or whatever, it's, it's a vast subject. And there are lots of interesting things within mathematics that are accessible uh, that you can get into. So, um, yes, I'm, I'm not uh, a native in the sense that I don't have a degree in mathematics. Uh, and I haven't taught, co- taught college-level mathematics. But I also like it taking from the, trying to look at it from the perspective of someone who isn't a mathematician, too. There are very interesting things in mathematics that mathematicians may not even think of as being very important or interesting, or, but which are fascinating to uh, uh, other people. I mean, anything from the digits of pi to uh, fractals and things like that. Uh, there's just a fascination about those. And, I like looking at things like that. Well, one thing that you uh, also mentioned, uh, I noticed when I went back and read your first book, uh, was you mentioned that there's a lack of a human side in mathematics. Now, this is something that I, that I definitely feel is still true now. Have you noticed any change? That book was published originally in mm-hmm. 1988, I believe. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed any more humanization of mathematics since then, or is it still uh, kind of lacking that? It's still lacking large degree, but it has improved a great deal. There are far more mathematicians who are writing, and some of them writing very, very well, uh, and writing about what they do, how they do it. And now, especially with the internet and blogs, you have access to top mathematicians like Terry Tao and so on, who um, reveal what they're doing and how they're doing it. You're finding mathematicians in other contexts. There was just a news story uh, just a few days ago of a fashion show in Paris that was inspired by uh, Thurston's geometric prophecies. And he was there at the show, uh, and that was part of the news story. So, yes, it's changing. That is because, partly because uh, there are more people writing about it uh, and being interested in it, and also more mathematicians themselves being willing to uh, provide those things. Traditionally, the math literature itself and the way in which mathematicians wrote about mathematics was very formal and stripped of anything that might be interesting to the rest of us. Uh, one, one other thing that I thought was uh, really interesting reading through your book was the kind of change in perspective that I've seen, because obviously I, I'm reading it quite a while after it was published, and specifically you're talking, you talked a lot about uh, computers and the use of computers in math. For instance, the Apple Hacken for color proof. And, mm-hmm. and I just wonder what sort of changes you've noticed in the acceptance of uh, computation and computers within mathematics since you published your first book. It's, it's changed a great deal. Uh, there are far more mathematicians uh, working in computation and allowing computational results and so on. Uh, the idea of what constitutes a proof is still pretty firm, but there are all kinds of other possibilities and enumerating things and so on are all more poss- made possible by the computer. I think the biggest effect, though, for, uh, for computers that, that I can see is in what was happening back in the 80s when I was writing and what sort of inspired my writing at that time, is, and that was the visualization, an alternative way of looking at the mathematics. If you look at papers, especially older ones, it is all formulas and theorems and proofs and so on, and there are practically no pictures, maybe a few graphs and so on. The visualization side of it, I think, has, has changed a great deal, and not just geometric visualization, but other ways of looking at even 
uh, algebraic objects and so on, but looking at them visually. And it's a whole new set of tools allowed. And all that has developed uh, um, through a variety of programs and, and, and initiatives among mathematicians. Uh, but it's taking advantage of the uh, computer, but also being able to visualize it. And I tend to be a sort of visually oriented person. Uh, and that was appealing to me back in the 80s. And that, that certainly has exploded. Uh, were you at all surprised by how much computers uh, became a part of mathematics, given the original kind of uh, lack of interest in using them? The real surprise was more that there was resistance initially. I mean, when I was looking at this, it was hard for me to understand why mathematicians were so resistant. It was a wonderful tool that they could use for a variety of things, and yet they stuck to uh, chalk and blackboard and, and so on. And it took a while for that to happen. So my surprise was more at the beginning as to why they were even resistant then, because it seemed like just a nice extension of what they were already doing in various ways. But that also goes to a little, little bit into the history of mathematics itself and, and the rejection of visual aids and so on back in the mid-20th century with the very formal kinds of ways of doing mathematical proofs. And people like Don Coxeter, the famous geometer who died a while ago, had a real struggle just to keep geometry alive, in, in certainly in academic settings and so on. But I think that's all turned around. And again, it's, it's learning that the computer is such a wonderful tool for continuing uh, mathematical studies and research of all, of all sorts. Uh, staying on the idea of uh, visualizations, you had another book called Fragments of Infinity, which was about math and art. And one, one point that you made in there that I thought was, was very interesting is that uh, you, you tied them math and art together and the idea that they both express abstract concepts. That's one part of it. And the other is uh, they both require a great deal of imagination and creativity in different contexts, perhaps. But leaping to a new mathematical idea, seeing something differently in the mathematics that you're looking at uh, takes imagination. It takes a, a leap of faith almost to know what you're getting into. And people don't always recognize that as being an important part of mathematics. It all seems so rigid and logical and you know, one step follows the next. But in order to get those steps to work it all out, you really do have to have the right kind of imagination. And artists have that same quality. So what makes our artists uh, have uh, very distinctive styles and, and ways of doing things, uh, and then going beyond that in various ways. And that was another link between the two that I, I, I found very interesting. And then from uh, that particular book, uh, most of the people that I wrote about are people who I got to know personally in one way or another at various meetings and just traveling to their studios and so on. And a good number of them are both mathematicians and artists. And it was a fascinating combination that they could work in both realms uh, with equal imagination and, and, and creativity. You are listening to Strongly Connected Components. My guest on this episode is Ivers Peterson, Director of Publications and Communications for the Mathematical Association of America. We'll get right back to the interview, but first I want to let you know about some things that are going on over at acmescience.com, the website where you can find posts about every single episode of Strongly Connected Components. Well, we also have a forum over there that you can talk about this episode as well as all of our past ones, and you can find out information about combinations and permutations. The 
mathematical podcast about the lighter side of mathematics. I think you would probably like it, so you should go check it out. And now, let's get back to my conversation with Ivers Peterson. That's one thing about a lot of the things that you write. You're not uh, afraid to insert yourself uh, personally into the story that you're telling, which is something that most people who write about mathematics tend to be afraid of. You tend to get a lot of talk about history and this equation and applications, very little actual personal, even if it's just surface information. So what made you uh, decide when you're writing that you're going to be willing to put yourself uh, into the stories and the uh, uh, you know, math that you talk about? Um, I guess in a way I'm a bit surprised to hear that, although it may come through uh, uh, in the books themselves. They're not written in the first person, but they certainly reflect my interests and and ways of looking at things. So I don't deliberately put myself into the books, but they reflect a broader sense. I'm just, I love learning things. I'm fascinated by finding out how things work and so on. And I've been, that's, I've been like that since I was a kid. What the next step for me was always, well, now that I've learned this really, really cool thing, I have to tell someone else. It, it, it helped me when I was a high school teacher. I mean, this is what I was, these are things I got excited about and I wanted everyone else in the world to know. And writing does the same thing for me. I mean, the reason I continue doing my column when I, when I have time, uh, why I continue writing in between all these other things I need to do, is that when I learn something and I think it's really something really interesting, I want everyone else to know about it too. And so it's been that kind of uh, push within me to get that information out. It's just my own fascination with things. And what I was lucky enough to do for my 26 years at Science News and even now at the MAA is that I can keep learning things. And there are always so many interesting things to learn. And I just want to keep doing that. Well, that, that fascination definitely comes through with your, with your writing, which is it's very easy to get through. I mean, it's, I'm, it, as a, someone who studies math, of course, it's uh, something that I'm interested in. But I think that it could definitely uh, go out for other people who are not interested in mathematics, too, just because you write with passion about the subject. And, and the other side of it is it's partly my experience as a high school teacher. I, I, I taught high school for uh, eight years altogether before I went into journalism. And in a classroom, the students are right there. You can see how they react, how they respond to various things, and, and, and so on. And when I write, and this has been true for the last 30 years, when I write, I really picture those students in my mind, saying, how can I interest them? Will they like this? Will they get this? And so on. And so uh, uh, as a writer, I always find that it's very good to picture who your audience is precisely. And I still retain, after, even after all these years, a sense of, uh, what high school students are like, at least the way they were back in more than 30 years ago. But it's writing for an audience, knowing that it's not just for me. I'm writing to persuade these particular people, and high school students seem about the right level for what I, what I want to convey. Can I get the idea across to them? So that's the other piece of, of my way of doing things. Now, one thing that you do a lot in your writing is is the use of metaphors. And one of the metaphors you use most often is uh, wilderness metaphors or just metaphors in general. But uh, one that stuck out was the... the travel idea. metaphor. <laughs> the what? Or the travel metaphor that yes. goes with that, yes. One that you used uh, that I really liked is the idea of factors or hunters. They're hunting for another, mm-hmm. An, mm-hmm. You know, another 
factor of a some composite number or uh, dimensions as filing cabinets. Now, a metaphor is not something that you see in mathematics quite often. Uh, do you ever get sort of negative reactions from people, uh, from mathematicians who see these metaphors as taking away from the abstract idea, or are they typically uh, well-received? It depends on what serve, but I think generally well-received. Um, I, I don't think I've been very outrageous. I've, I've used pretty <laughs> reasonable kinds of metaphors. And, and in some sense, mathematics itself is a kind of metaphor. It's a way of describing the world around us, oh. although there's no reason why there should be a connection between mathematics, this sort of creation of the mind and logic, and the physical things that happen out, out there. And so uh, <laughs> different ways of looking at where, where the metaphor fits in. Oh, I, I, won't, I won't argue with that. It's uh, just sometimes mathematicians can be quite obstreperous oh, yeah. about oh, their yeah, yeah. work. <laughs> Uh, but I found that over the years, what I've written has been you know, well accepted. And normally, uh, partly because I really make an effort to make sure that I'm accurate, that, that I get the mathematics right. I don't always succeed, but I try very hard to do that. And that helps a lot. Uh, I try not to slip up on, on, on basic mathematics kinds of things. And then the metaphors work in that context. And that helps with mathematicians. If you, if you can get the basics right, if you don't sort of misuse a definition, you can cheat in other ways a little bit. They'll, <laughs> they'll, they'll forgive you for that then. Now, over the last, over the last couple of decades, I, or however long you've now been writing about mathematics, I, th- in many ways, we're going through a, a time where there's more results than ever before in rather significant numbers, but they're not the same foundational results of, say, the Eulers and the Gauss. Uh, so how do you go through and sort through the things that are happening in mathematics to find the stories that uh, you want to tell? Um, I don't look at profound or deep significance. Uh, perhaps I should, but I tend not to do that. I look for more immediate kinds of things. Uh, what does this tell me that I didn't know before? As I was saying, the audience I, I think of are the, the high school students I used to used to teach. And you know, what would they be curious about? Um, if it's a way of explaining how things work, and that includes I mean, not just mechanical things like how the insides of a watch work or something like that, but how numbers work. You know, what are these operations that we do? And you know, just you know, algorithms to me are interesting because uh, there are lots of different ways to add numbers or to multiply them or to divide them and so on. And you pick the kind of method that works best for the, your, the purpose you want at. Uh, it's far more free and less rigid. So there are all kinds of interesting aspects. And, but what I look at for most of all is the connection with, with the reader. Will, will the reader appreciate this? Will it be something that they could either relate to in some way or find useful or just say, aha, eliciting in them the same kind of reaction it gives to me. So much of it doesn't have to do with, you know, the deep roots of mathematics or the depth of the problem. Some of it may be incidentally important that way, but I'm trying to connect more directly and sort of concretely with with the audience. I can uh, see that uh, in the columns that you have, you can find them over at the MAA website, which Mm -hmm. are uh, the math tourist columns. And in those, uh, you talk about things uh, as divergent from math as rock, paper, scissors, and high school musical. Yes. (laughs) It's finding, I mean, one one of my current passions in a way is, and it's part of 
the favorite, one of my favorite talks that I give when I go out to meetings and so on, is just the wonder of the mathematics in the world around you that most people ignore. The fact that the recycling symbol is a Mobius strip is to me really cool. And it was deliberately so. So there's a nice history with that. It's finding something like a song by a singer like uh, Nelly Furtado, uh, a pop singer. And I just happened to hear uh, in one song, she actually uses the word Mobius strip in the song. Well, that's fun. And so I'm always looking for examples of math in everyday life, the way it appears where many people don't even notice. But once you point it out, it becomes part of the way they look at things. And that I enjoy very much. And finding new examples of that, I'm, I'm always looking for things and just alert to you know, whether I take pictures or write about things. So you'll find that my columns have that kind of flavor, certainly uh, in more, more recent times. And I'm about to do a series on math on the National Mall here in Washington, D.C., just to alert people to, if you go down to the, to the mall and just look around, uh, there'll be a whole series of different kinds of math things to look at that have some interesting mathematical components. So that's, that's a particular interest, and that's always fun. Uh, you don't uh, just write about mathematics. You're also the director of publications and communications for the Mathematical Association of America. Now, I wish I had a, a well-formulated question about this, but I'm not entirely sure what that position what? means. <laughs> so if you could just give a little bit of a rundown of what you uh, do for the MAA. I, I've made a... Tr- been um, a writer and editor uh, for Science News Magazine for 26 years. Now I'm very much in an administrative role. I mean, I'm basically overseeing budgets and staff and making sure that the publications they may come out uh, at a reasonable price for uh, members and everyone else. So it's, it's a very different kind of role. The writing that's involved, for example, is mainly just uh, reports and budgets and things like that, evaluations and so on. So it's very different. For me, it's a nice change of pace. It's, it's an interesting challenge because in publishing, uh, there are all kinds of challenges, the, the switch to um, electronic uh, communication and so on. There are very exciting times uh, as to what's happening on the web, and I like being part of that. Making changes within the MA here, uh, or recommending changes to create sort of a more up-to-date kind of organization. And it, it's fun being part of that. So it, it's a different kind of role, and it involves a lot less of the writing. But the other side of it is that I get to promote the idea of how important communication is to, should be to everyone, including mathematicians, and how mathematicians themselves should take care and how they write and present themselves and should pay attention to those kinds of things that it is important to be able to communicate to more than just a small group of colleagues, uh, whether it's at a national meeting or uh, uh, in their own department or, 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 or university or in other contexts. And that to me is important. And this position gives me a chance to do something about that in, in workshops and, and, and in other, other venues like that. So there are lots of interesting challenges, and I'm enjoying that. It is very much a change of pace, though, from journalism I did for Science News, which was under deadline pressure uh, continually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if uh, we can ask you uh, one last question. I, a while mm-hmm. ago, I had Andrew Granville on the show, and he yeah. told us about uh, his play, which you, I believe, got to see, correct? Yes. So yeah. what, what was it like seeing a uh, mathematical piece of theater? Like most things like that, I had mixed feelings about it. It was fun and interesting. It didn't quite work as a drama, and it didn't quite work as exposition. 
And it's always a, a very tricky balance to get all of that to work together. There's some wonderful elements of it, some neat little bits of humor, some very clever bits, but the story seemed to slow down a bit with the need to explain things. And yet some things were explained well, other things were not explained enough. So it's, a, it's definitely a work in progress. It's a really interesting experiment. And I've had fun watching uh, Andrew Granville work through this uh, bit by bit. And the next iteration uh, is coming. But it's a, it also shows how difficult it is to do that sort of thing, to uh, have both mathematical exposition and drama and have it work in a, in a seamless way. I mean, some authors, uh, some novelists have tried it uh, with mixed, mixed success also. Well, I want to thank you for all the great journalism you've done, your columns, your Twitter feed, and the work you do for the MAA. Well, thank you very much. It was a great pleasure having you on. Okay, well, thank you. That is our time for another episode of Strongly Connected Components. If you want to leave any feedback about this show or just say hi, you can email me at samuel at acmescience.com. That's samuel at acmescience.com. Com. You can also head over to acmescience.com to find out more about this show as well as links to places where you can find the great work of our guest on this episode, Ivers Peterson. The music on this episode was a Pie by Hard and Firm and Shadows 192 by SP12, who you can find over at opsounds.org. As always, Strongly Connected Components is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike license, so please make copies and distribute this all over the web. Just make sure that you share it just like we do, and, you know, you give some credit. Thank you all for listening, and I hope that you have a fantastic week and that you listen to next week's episode.